wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rose, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. Welcome in to another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Wrestling TWT. That's Wrestling TWT. Also, don't forget I host Mornings with David Kaplan. The show's called Cap and J Hood Mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000. Also, on the ESPN Chicago app. That's where you might be listening to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play, wherever you download your podcast. Thanks so much for checking in. As we're here every Tuesday to give you the best in pro wrestling conversation, Tuesday, our Wrestling Tuesday. On this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, we celebrate the one-year anniversary of All Elite Wrestling Dynamite. Can you believe it's been a year for All Elite Wrestling. So we're going to hear from a number of people that know a lot about All Elite Wrestling on this program. You will hear from the likes of good old JR Jim Ross. Jim Ross, one of the voices of All Elite Wrestling. Also, we will hear from Bully Ray. Bully Ray, part of uh, Busted Open on SiriusXM uh, Fight Nation. We will also get a chance to hear from the owner and CEO of All Elite Wrestling, Tony Khan, and of course, someone who's got a really, really big opinion about All Elite Wrestling, Mr. Jim Cornette and Brian Last. So that'll be all part of our program today, All Elite Wrestling, celebrating its first year anniversary. So I was thinking about this earlier today. All of the wrestling shows that I grew up watching. And so as a Gen Xer, growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, watching pro wrestling, I just wrote down the AWA, grew up watching the American Wrestling Association, Vern Gagne's TV, as I like to call it every now and then here on the podcast, because Vern Gagne was a promoter. 
here in the Midwest, promoted in Denver, promoted uh, in New Jersey, certain pockets, but mostly in the Midwest. And so that was the television I grew up watching, the AWA. And before Hulk Hogan and Tito Santana and Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund and so many others made it to the main stage working in New York for Vince McMahon, I saw many of those wrestlers right here in the Midwest. Growing up, going to the International Amphitheater, no longer around, on 43rd and Halsted in Chicago, and seeing those matches where I saw a young Hulk Hogan in turquoise tights in wrestling against Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan, whatever. Point is, though, is that that's the organization I grew up watching here in the Midwest. On television, as you start to see the cable overlay come across the country, seeing world-class championship wrestling out of Dallas, Texas, to see the Von Erichs against the Freebirds every Saturday at 5 o'clock on my syndicated Channel 50. Cool to be able to watch that every single Saturday at 5 o'clock. And to see the National Wrestling Alliance, to see the NWA syndicated show, Worldwide Wrestling and NWA Pro Wrestling in Chicago, in particular in Chicago, we did not get uh, cable until 1989. Many had satellite dishes, but cable, 1989. So I watched the NWA through those syndicated shows until cable starts really start to uh, kick in in Chicago, in the city. The WWF at the time, to be able to watch matches out of Poughkeepsie, New York, that New York area, the New York, New Jersey area, to see Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and POW, those women wrestling companies, and to be able to see local wrestling, like Bob Luce's wrestling out of uh, Chicago and Indianapolis, that was also on the television when I was a kid growing up. So I saw a lot of territory wrestling growing up, so I have a little bit of a gauge of what it's like when a wrestling promotion comes to our television. So, of course, during that time when I was a kid versus now is a lot different. Now someone can have a wrestling company and it will be on Fight TV. you got to pay for it or you got to download an app or you've got to be able to tune in at a certain time. But All Elite Wrestling is different because All Elite Wrestling came out of nowhere. A germ of an idea that came together for the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes. And the story is quite interesting because the wrestling landscape has been bereft of a quality number two or a quality number three company in North America. The WWE has been head and shoulders above the rest since they purchased World Championship Wrestling, as you know. And so you were wondering if TNA slash Impact would be able to do something against the WWE. And the problem with TNA Impact, especially during the Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan era, even a little bit before that, is that even though they had so many stars when Hogan was there, Bischoff was there, they had so many stars like Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy, the Liska, and Christian, they had so many quality wrestlers on that roster. But the lesson that I think that we all learned from watching that particular era, which I would say is a real golden era, really the pinnacle of TNA, is that no matter how much talent that you have on a roster, if you mismanage that roster, 
If you have creative bookers going one direction, then another direction, then another direction, when you bastardize wrestlers and icons like Hulk Hogan, rolling him out down the rampway two or three times in a GM role, then that means that no matter how much talent you have, if you can't manage it properly, and if there's no awareness, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win. And so when I think about Mick Foley being the Impact Wrestling Champion, Mick Foley tells a story like no one came up to me in the airport and say, hey, I know you, you're from TNA Impact. You're the TNA Champion. He said no one's ever said that when he was with Impact Wrestling, with TNA. And there's a reason for that. It's because of awareness, because of lack of branding, but most importantly, the lack of interest from the wrestling fan that really, really, really wanted something different. And so here we are with All Elite Wrestling. And this is different. (laughs) It's different from NXT. It's different from Raw and SmackDown. It's different from Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor. It's different from New Japan Pro Wrestling. All Elite Wrestling is different. There is no question about that. So within the framework of this podcast, as we celebrate one year of All Elite Wrestling Dynamite, I will give you 10 things that have stood out to me about All Elite Wrestling over a 12-month period. I'll give you 10 things, and along the way, we're going to hear from some of those uh, that really know All Elite Wrestling well. So I'll start from the bottom of my list at number 10. Number 10 is the crowd, the All Elite Wrestling fan. Before the pandemic, as you well know, All Elite Wrestling was traveling every Wednesday and putting on a live show on TNT for two hours. And I thought, wow, this is quite the undertaking with them being able to travel and do this every Wednesday. Not a Monday night, not even Tuesday, but right in the middle of the week on a Wednesday. But here's what really stands out to me. And I don't have the numbers in front of me because I don't need them because I watch All Elite Wrestling every week. When All Elite Wrestling was traveling, it was really amazing the type of crowds that AEW was getting. Now, to me, All Elite Wrestling does not necessarily have a territory outside of Chicago. Chicago is hot for All Elite Wrestling, but then Chicago is hot for any wrestling that comes to town. I was at Bound for Glory uh, for Impact Wrestling when it was in Chicago. I mean, a great crowd at the Odium, WWE shows, independent shows. I mean, this is a hot wrestling city I'm living in here in Chicago. And many say it's the best. I can't disagree because of the history of Chicago. Uh, Not even a bias. It's just based on numbers and interest. So AEW does not have a territory doesn't have a particular area of the country where it's like, we go here, and we, if we just travel around this territory, we'll be able to draw. All Elite Wrestling, you could say, based in Jacksonville, Florida, because of the Khan family. They've had a lot of shows there at Daly's Place, but they were traveling up and down the Northeast. They want to have a show in Rochester, New York, to be able to show everybody, here's Mr. Brody Lee, that didn't work out because of the pandemic. But they went from place to place, but the crowds were hot. I think maybe the only disappointing crowd they had was in Huntsville, Alabama. He was looking at you, Conrad Thompson. Uh, but for the most part, All Elite Wrestling drew, and whoever showed up, and you don't ex- here's what I don't expect after a year plus as a company. I don't expect for All Elite Wrestling to draw 
20,000 people or 15,000 people, or let alone 10,000 people, when they were traveling. What I expected is for fans to be interested. And guess what? Fans were interested in all elite wrestling. Right there at the rail, going through some of the aisles, the signs, people were interested in it. And so even though it's on TNT, as they continued to build and climb, man, it was amazing the type of crowds and the reaction that AEW was getting. So that's number 10 on my list, that crowds were really into All Elite Wrestling when they were traveling, even going out west to, for their pay-per-views, going to Las Vegas. Look how quickly they sold out their pay-per-view, their initial pay-per-view in 2019. It was crazy. So people crave an alternative. The crowds have been there for All Elite Wrestling. Uh, number nine, let's take a look at this for All Elite Wrestling. There are way too many wrestlers that are not ready for TV on All Elite Wrestling. Way too many wrestlers that really don't need TV time, but they need television training. If you're a longtime wrestling fan, you know that there's a difference between just putting someone on TV and someone who is apt to be able to perform on television. Uh, There's no question that NXT does a great job at their performance center being able to have the wrestlers go through a training system so they have a certain TV style. Not a road style, not an independent wrestling style, but a style that makes sense for television. Because all the stuff that you want to do, you may not have time for, but you've got to be able to be succinct and be able to get your match in in 7 minutes or 8 minutes or 10 minutes. Even though there's a number of wrestlers on this roster that wrestled in the independence for 10 years doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to be put on television on TNT. Maybe on AEW Dark, but not necessarily on television. The Joey Janellas of the world, the Luchasauruses of the world, the Sunny Kisses, the Marco Stunts, the Nakamuras, the women's division, a number of, of people in the women's division, Hybrid 2, And I can go on and on of wrestlers in this company that need to be able to have better training. Um, It is very difficult to be able to bring a cast of wrestlers into a company on a certain Monday or Tuesday, walk through your match, and then say, okay, now I need you to perform at an optimum level so everyone is watching and everyone's interested. And... What I'm seeing is flubs. I'm seeing a number of wrestlers without real ring work. Uh, I'm sure a lot of those wrestlers I just named would probably work 48 weeks out of the year during normal circumstances, but not necessarily in a way where you'd say for sure these wrestlers I just mentioned amongst others could be at a major company and perform for us on TNT. There, it is just way too many mistakes where some of the independent stuff that you would see whether it's you know, off television, at some high school gym, at some armory, at some baseball field, that works for that crowd. But when you're on TNT, uh, it's got to look flawless. Now, here's the thing. I know it's not ballet. This, it's never going to be 100%. Uh, you could say that for NXT. There's some um, matches that are not 100%, but it's damn near close. And so uh, I just think that the lack of training where you get an NXT uh, you don't get that at All Elite Wrestling. The uh, side gym, the performance center, they don't have one of those at All Elite Wrestling. You bring the bag of tricks that you learned on the road over the years and you put it on TNT. Uh, it's not necessarily smooth. And so that's also an issue for me. So 
I, I just think there's way too many wrestlers that are just not ready where it's on HD. We could see through a lot of this stuff and it's kind of like you see a lot of wrestlers just going through the motions as they would in, on the independent circuit. But all elite wrestling has to have a standard. And I think that that is a major problem. One of the other things that's on my list is Cody Rhodes, the ultimate babyface Cody Rhodes. Watching Dusty Rhodes, his father, and watching Dustin Rhodes, his brother, be able to have this charisma, the ability to connect with an audience. Cody Rhodes has been able to do that as the ultimate babyface in all elite wrestling. There's a little edge to him, for sure, especially uh, one of his latest matches against Mr. Brody Lee, which was a tremendous, tremendous dog collar match. It was so good. I'm thinking, well, why it's why is it on dynamite? Shouldn't this show? I would pay for a a brutal beating like that. Both guys were bleeding. Both guys were pretty brutal. And so I just thought, for a dog collar match, something that you don't get any anymore hardly uh, in today's landscape. They put on one hell of a show. So I really enjoyed that. I think Cody has done a really good job of being that guy, where. He puts out there in front of an audience, yes, I'm part of the office, and yes, I'm someone that is an executive, and I don't want to have that executive privilege. He put that out there. His match with MJF, a great build to them having a pretty good match. Um, his steel cage match that took place in Atlanta on February 19th, Cody Rhodes against Wardlow in the steel cage. Uh, Wardlow, his first time in the company first time as a wrestler there he is in a cage match <laughs> against cody all part of the mjf angle which was great i mean there's so many great moments for cody Rose. cody against his brother dustin for double or nothing also part of uh, the legacy of cody so far in all elite wrestling so him being the television champion even though I'm not a big fan of that title belt, they could have changed that and made it look differently. But for him being the TV champion for TNT, I think um, I think it's been very good for him. He's had some matches with uh, Jungle Boy and others that made me think, okay, as a veteran, he's doing what John Cena has done or Triple H has done is taking on young talent. Now, that young talent or some of that veteran talent uh, more than likely won't win. But you like to for them to be able to step up in class against the Cody Rhodes because maybe they're going to be the future for all elite wrestling. So uh, Cody, I think, is a major plus for this company. Not only as someone who likes to talk and is very good with the media for as an executive, but also someone that knows how to tell a great story. He changed his hair back to his regular color and turned a little darker and had a little bit of an edge because of his match with Mr. Brody Lee and that battle um, with that group. Pretty doggone good. So Cody definitely is a thumbs up for me because you're looking for baby faces. This this whole wrestling landscape is a shade of gray. Think about if you watch television and all the movies and all the sitcoms, everything else was a shade of gray in which you really didn't get a chance to connect with one person or the other because everything's gray. Well, Cody doesn't want to be gray. Cody is a baby face through and through, and the you know wrestling needs more of that. Cody's definitely part of that. So that's the first three on my list. So I'm going to stop right here, and I want you to hear from Tony Khan, the CEO of All Elite Wrestling. So back in March, 
Tony Khan was on with Tony Schiavone and referee Aubrey Edwards. They do a podcast called All Elite Wrestling Unrestricted. Yes, Aubrey Edwards. You'll hear a lot of her in this conversation with Tony Khan. Uh, so it's Aubrey and Tony. And Tony Khan talks about the beginning of All Elite Wrestling. How did this all start? So Tony Khan talks to Tony and Aubrey uh, about how All Elite Wrestling came together. And uh, the idea of this was that um, I had approached Kevin Riley, my good friend. I, when I walked over to him, it was during a time period when, coincidentally, as today we just have inked our four-year you know, lucrative contract extension with TNT. At that point, there were WWE TV rights being bid out, and uh, they were bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars on TV rights. Yeah. And so as we looked at it, I was saying, okay, well, all of a sudden now – the economics of wrestling have flipped. And really, the TV show has become such an important... I mean, everyone who's watched wrestling knows that those TV shows are a huge part of it. But they're more important than ever before. All of a sudden, if you look at the economic pyramid of a wrestling company, the TV show is really the, the prime dollar, mm-hmm. which, right. which hasn't always been the case. Right. Um, it used to be people used to look at TV as something you would use to pr- almost to pr- you know promote your live events and That's pay-per-views. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are not uh, the driving forces. Now, we've done well, and, and our pay-per-views have been successful, and Double or Nothing's the biggest pay-per-view anybody you know outside of WWE has done in decades. Mm-hmm. Not just since the end of WCW, but as Tony will tell you, the WCW pay-per-views at the end were not doing as well no, as ours. Right. And that's pretty great because we, you know, we came into a pay-per-view universe that people said was decimated and not, not a uh, true, uh, reliable revenue stream anymore. But for us, it's been a good revenue stream. But still, for us, by far, our biggest, you know, economic driver now is is TV. We invested huge resources into producing this TV show, and right off the bat, that's what I told Kevin. I was at a party in Beverly Hills. And I heard you were dressed as Macho Man. This is not the first. This is not that time. I was dressed as Macho Man. <laughs> the first time I met Kevin Riley, I was dressed as Macho Man, and the second time I met Kevin Riley, I was also dressed as Macho Man. Was the first? Was two, it the same costume? Like, are you getting? It was like, the same. Good? It was the same one, but okay, it was a year apart. Good. It was. He was a year apart. It's good. It's, uh, it's thrifty. I, yeah, uh, I really. <laughs> Something you want the boss to do is I gotta spend money responsibly. You know, uh, there's not a lot of money in the budget for Macho Man costumes. No, that's fine. You just get uh, some streamers, man. That's all you need. It was, it's actually a really good one. I'll, 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 uh, I'll show it to you guys. Maybe we can work it in. Uh, but it's on my Instagram. If people really want to see it that bad, they can just scroll. I think I've seen it before. Yeah, I've yeah. gone all the way to the bottom to yeah. find it. Anyway, Kevin Riley. So, never mind. But, uh, so, like, uh, so uh, in 2016, yeah, it was 2016, Halloween. I went to a party with uh, my friend Bernie Cahill. And, uh, you know, at the time, I'd never met Kevin Riley. And uh, that was who we ended up going to this, this Halloween party with. And I was dressed as Macho Man in the classic Slim Jim red and yellow outfit. Oh, yeah. And Kevin was uh, in, like, he dressed like one of the cheerleaders from SNL. Oh, my God. Craig, Craig and Ariana. <laughs> uh, so he was like Craig of Craig and Ariana, right? That's her name? Yeah, I think, Craig so. and Ariana. I think that's it. So we had a, a nice time. And uh, Kevin hadn't spent a lot of time watching wrestling, not a big wrestling fan, but I think everybody kind of knows the Macho Man. And it's not really about where your costume is. It's about getting to know, like, actual people. And I got to right, spend right. time with Kevin, and we had a great time. He's a great guy. And then the next time I saw him was a year later on Halloween again. And uh, again, I dressed in the same costume. And I saw him again. He was in a different costume this time, like people are supposed to do at Halloween. But for me, it was just like the one day a year I got to wear that uh, 
and get away with it. So I was, uh, you know, with him and we had a, a nice talk. And that was the second time I met Kevin. The third time I met Kevin was the charm. We were at a party on, in, uh, on a Friday night. It was April 6th of 2018. And uh, Bernie had invited me out. And I don't know why I ended up going, I guess, you know. I just wanted to do something fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, we uh, went to this uh, party in a very large house, I guess a mansion in Beverly Hills. And um, Kevin was there. And I didn't know a lot of people there, but I knew Kevin. And a uh, light bulb kind of went off in my head that I wasn't sure that the TV rights that they were looking at bidding on were going to be a fit for them. And I wasn't sure they were going to be in the market at the end of the day for wrestling TV shows like that were that were at the time you know, out for bid, Raw and SmackDown. And uh, I had a pretty frank talk with them about the state of the industry and where the TV rights were heading and the history of TNT in the wrestling business. And, you know, Kevin being the president of TNT, I mean, TNT owned and operated at that point the number one wrestling company in the world 20 years ago before Kevin and I were having this conversation because right. it was like April 6th of 90 of 98 right. 20 years earlier than right. uh, you know April 6th of 2018 so technically on April 6th of 20 I was April 6th of uh, 1998. You could say uh, WCW was still the number one sure. wrestling company in the mm-hmm. world. They, by, by, they were hanging on. They were, <laughs> they were barely on. hanging on. You were barely. Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, the slope had not started yet, but it was close. We it was getting out. tight. Yes, it was. She was starting to get tight, and yes, I think that was. was right around the time they won their first. They didn't win the night, but I think the first time they'd won an hour in a long time was mm-hmm. when Sean Waltman showed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The night for WrestleMania. It was right around then. So I said to Kevin, you know, 20 years ago, the company that you operate owned and operated uh, the number one wrestling company in the world. And, you know, if you think about it, really, in those 20 years, nobody stepped up to fill the void of your guy's former company. There's a great opportunity. There are tons of talented people that are going to be available next year. We oh, can yeah. really look at doing something together here. And Kevin did not blow it off immediately. He was like, that's kind of interesting, man. And not like committing to talk. Like, you know, maybe we could have another conversation about this at some point. So I immediately went back to the bar and grabbed Bernie. And I was like, all right, man, I think I got something going here. And Bernie, I don't think Bernie understood like how he was like, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. But I really started to develop the idea in my head and then uh, started to really go out and put together a list of like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, who would you want to work with? And who are the people that are going to be available next year that you could put a viable wrestling company with together in terms of headliners and people that could work with you on it? And a lot of those people are here now. And uh, you kind of mentioned that, like some contracts are running up and some people are going to be available. And it was like obvious that, you know, Bucks, Cody, Kenny, their contracts were all running up at the end of 2018. Yep. So yep. Was, were they like the first people in your mind? They were the first people in my mind. Uh, those guys, the, everyone you just named, uh, Chris Jericho right. and CM Punk. Mm-hmm. And Chris had said he wasn't going to wrestle in America uh, for anybody but WWE ever. Mm-hmm. But then he had done the New Japan shows. And even though he, when he did those, he said that was still just in Japan. It made me think that maybe that Chris might be interested in working. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started having conversations uh, with Barry Bloom, who represents Chris and uh, Jim. Oh, and, yeah, I met uh, Barry. I met Barry. He's mm-hmm. a cool dude. Yeah. And uh, he's represented a lot of people in the wrestling business. I'm sure yeah. Tony's known Barry for 30 years. Many, many years, yes, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, Kevin and I had a follow-up lunch with Bernie. And I would say early summer, I know it was early summer because Fulham had just gotten promoted at Wembley. So it was probably June of 2018 then was the second conversation we had about this. And 
I had just brought all the Fulham players to America. So we was, I was in L.A. because I had just come back from London with the Fulham team, and they were celebrating their, the promotion game at Wembley. And uh, the, the players had just left, and then right after the guys got back on their planes flying home, I had stayed and had this conversation with Kevin. And basically, he gave me a chance to go to square one, and like anybody else would, he put me on the ground floor, which is a great a way to get my foot in the door. He put me on the ground floor with their finance, marketing, legal, and everybody they had in terms of development to see if this was like a credible idea. Mm-hmm. And basically, I had very few conversations with Kevin about this over the next several months. And really, like he had a great team of people mm-hmm. at uh, Warner Media and TNT that he wanted to vet this idea because, mm-hmm. you know, it sounded interesting to him, but I think he wanted to have every, it's a really, really large and uh, really, really efficient operation. And I think he wanted all of his vice presidents and all of his directors to have a good chance to like vet this and see if this makes sense, if this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked for months and months and months and uh, into the winter. And, uh, you know, it became clear to me as I got deeper and deeper into this that no matter what, I'm going to do it. There there were so many people that I wanted to work with that were going to be available. And the key thing was going to be the TV partnership and uh, making that happen. Mm -hmm. And none of that was certain that it was going to happen, really, until we really got over the hump. I think uh, I really needed to prove to our partners that we could put together all the things we said we could, that we could assemble the roster. And I, that's risk I had to take. It's, right. uh, you know, it's frankly tens of millions. Uh, by the time we got done putting everything together, the commitments we made are millions and millions of dollars, mm-hmm. ten, tens of millions of dollars. Right. And that's the money we've spent to get to this point. Uh, and now, you know, we're at a point where not only with this four year extension we've signed, like not only is there light at the end of the tunnel, but like, we're pretty much near the end of the tunnel. Now we're like about to go into the light. Like, yeah, yeah. So right. like we're pretty much at like, which is pretty unthinkable when you look at our financial statements over the past to say that like what we've what we've just done here with this deal we've made, people would have thought it was a, a pretty crazy gamble to spend the money I spent on a wrestling company uh, without all the assurances that I now have through this deal. Right. But I'm really thankful that uh, we had this opportunity and uh, really what TNT gave me a chance to do is bet on myself and bet on our team that we could make this successful and uh, that, you know, if we made these commitments and went out and, you know, signed Chris Jericho, signed Cody, signed the Young Bucks, signed Kenny Omega, bring in JR and put together a viable business plan that they would want to work with us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that all came together. And uh, the gamble I also took was if I go out and do all those things that, they're going to still pick this up and I'm right. going to be left holding the bag. Right. And that's trust. And uh, I have a lot of uh, faith in them. And I, I think Kevin's a super competent executive. And I knew that they wouldn't have had the literally dozens and dozens and dozens of phone calls and meetings that they had with me across Atlanta, New York and L.A. Uh, and all the conference calls we did, you know, even over the holidays and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just knew that they wouldn't have shown that kind of interest and committed their own time if they weren't interested in making a commitment but like i said it was a big gamble big so the thoughts there from tony khan part of that aw podcast with tony shivani and aubrey edwards let's see number six on my list of top 10 things that stood out to me about the first year of aw dynamite uh, and that is who are you who are you that is number seven on my list is who are you you know when you have a new show and you have wrestlers that are not commonly known by viewers on TNT, you have to be able to introduce 
these wrestlers. Now, a lot of this is on the commentary team for not being able to lay out stories, but also it's from a production standpoint. Okay, here come the wrestlers. Okay, now I know Chris Jericho when I see him, and I know John Moxley when I see him, and I know a number of wrestlers that's on that roster, but there's a number of wrestlers, especially early on. There are independent wrestlers that have never been on the main stage on cable. And yet they just rolled out there like, okay, here's Joey Janela. Well, why is he the bad boy? And you have to be able to explain that to the audience. If you have a new show and you have a battle royal, there's all these people. And okay, so who are these people and why are they special? One thing that the WWE has done for years, for decades, is that they will tell you who the wrestler is. They'll tell you why he's out there. They'll tell you the program that he's in. They'll tell you something about the wrestler. It gets to a point where it's like, well, you know this every week because Michael Cole or, you know, whatever, whoever the announcer is in the WWE, they just continue to say the same things over and over again. You're like, I get it. I get it. Well, the reason why is because Vince McMahon realizes that he always has a new audience. Whether people are tuning in or tuning out, you want to be able to know why this person is important. And so that's why they have literation. This is why they have these certain things that they have in their notebook to be able to say about these wrestlers. Who doesn't know Big E? Well, you got to be able to explain who Big E is to new audience every single time. And AEW just rolls wrestlers out there. It's like, well, oh, don't you know who Sheeta is? Not, no. Tell me about her. Don't you know who Rio is? No. Tell. I mean, and and to me, it's you have to be able to have time to explain this. AEW Dynamite has approximately eighty-eight minutes. No, let me think. And that I think that's about right. Let me think about it for a second. I think it's about eighty minutes of actual TV time to be able to explain exactly what is going on on their two-hour show. And so I think that they have a hard time when they roll out new wrestlers, explain who they are. I know who Serena Deeb is, and maybe you do too, from her time in wrestling in the independents or wrestling in the WWE. But you've got to be able to explain that with packages. It only takes 30 seconds to be able to have some kind of uh, package that you have out there to roll out before they even start wrestling. Or hear from the wrestler. And so let the wrestler tell you what he or she's all about. AEW assumed too much. And I think that hurts your audience when you just have wrestling and you don't explain who these people are. Especially for me, someone who's re really busy, and then all of a sudden wrestlers pop up on your screen like, who's Chris Statlander? And why is she booping people on the nose? What's her background? It, it took a few episodes to even find out what the whole space gimmick was. That's a poor job by AEW. If you're new, you have to continue to assume that your audience is new, and, and which is always growing. A really bad job there in their first year with AEW Dynamite. Let's see. Oh, experience is next on my list. Number six, experience. A positive for AEW is that they were able to get Dean Malenko, have Billy Gunn, Arn Anderson, JR, Taz, Jake Roberts, even Jericho and some of the other active wrestlers to be able to be in the back and to instill wisdom on some of the veteran talent and also the young talent on that roster. Uh, it would be very difficult to have a new company and not have 
uh, agents, producers in the back to be able to talk to some of the, this young talent. Just because some of this young talent has been on the roads for five, ten years and wrestling for a shady $150 envelope that's handed to them at the end of the night doesn't necessarily mean that they know everything about wrestling. As far as the nuances, as far as telling a story, as far as slowing down to be able to tell that story, to sell, all those things. You know, when you're on the independence, you don't have to do a lot of those things. If you could do a dive, if you could do something spectacular, if you can capture the audience, big or small, in those independent scenes, then, you know, fans are fine with it. Fans are forgiving on the independent scene. If you make a mistake, that's fine. But when you're on Turner Network Television, when you're on TNT, when you're on BR Live, you want to be able to put your best foot forward. And I'm glad that that there's some experience in the back because hopefully some of the young wrestlers and some of the veterans can learn from those who have been in the ring for years and years and were part of the territory system and can tell stories. Now, Arn Anderson can't tell uh, Orange Cassidy how to be able to dive through the ropes because Arn Anderson never did that. You know, you know a guy like Taz cannot tell... Uh, Jack Perry, exactly what he needs to do as far as when he's on the top rope and he dives out onto the floor or he does a spectacular move. Because Taz was not spectacular in the ring. He was powerful and awesome, but he was not spectacular. But there's nuances that can be taught for these guys. You know, running back and forth through the ropes and diving off of the top rope and, and doing stuff on the arena floor is not wrestling. It's part of it, but it's not the entire show. There has to be some kind of story told. There's mistakes made, but at least you have experienced wrestlers that can tell stories, help you with promos, help you get yourself over. So that's a, a great thing. AEW invested in agents, producers. That's great. Who says no in AEW? That's my number five. Who says no in AEW? Does Tony Khan ever say no in All Elite Wrestling? You know, I see a lot of ideas not thrown against the wall. There's a lot of ideas that just are thrown on television from All Elite Wrestling. Who says that a uh, mimosa match is good for All Elite Wrestling? Who says that, you know, having, uh, you know, whoever loses gets thrown into the mimosa? Who says that's good for All Elite Wrestling? Who says that that MJF should go out there and pretend like he's running for president, really is trying to get votes from AEW fans in Jacksonville. Who says that that's a good idea? John Moxley, if you go into the archives of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, John Moxley told me on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday when they were promoting a show for when AEW came to Chicago, he said, you know, I was surprised that go to Tony Khan with an idea and he would just green light it and he'd be like, what? Because he's used to the Vince McMahon WWE system of I have an idea and it gets shot down. I understand that. But when John Moxley says, I'm surprised that uh, Tony Khan allows so much stuff on television. Can we do that? Really? Can we do that? And he says, yes, that's a problem. Now, again, in the first year, you're hot shotting the territory and there's a lot of things that are happening on AEW. There's matches on AEW that should be only on pay-per-view, quite frankly. And, and But yet they're hot shotting. The territory, hot shotting, meaning that you're just going to have dog collar matches and cage matches and everything else that usually would be for pay-per-view, but it's on a TNT. 
Now, you got to have spectacular matches on TNT, too. I, I understand that because you're in a ratings battle. But yet, those matches, whether it's uh, a parking lot brawl, which was pretty pretty doggone good, actually, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, watching Santana Ortiz against the best friends. And, uh, you know, those things are great. But it seems as though, like, nobody... I mean, every time that you see something, you're like... Wait, is that happening really on TNT? Is Tony Khan saying no? Like, I think that that is an issue. I'd love to know an idea that Tony Khan turned down. It's one thing to have influence from the Young Bucks and Jericho and uh, Kenny Omega. Because I mean, those are the guys that are in the front office along with Cody Rhodes. But my God, man, there has to be something where it's like, ah, why don't we push this to pay-per-view? Or maybe we won't do that. There's been some outlandish stuff. And I will tell you this. And you know what I'm going to say, right? If some of the stuff we saw from AEW happened in the WWE, imagine what people would say. Maybe nothing. Maybe they wouldn't say anything based on some of the silliness that we've seen from the WWE, with, and in particular Monday Night Raw, some of the things that they've come up with over the last 20 years. Uh, some of the stuff has not been good. Uh, but it's uh, interesting that... A lot of stuff has just been free reign in AEW. And I think some fans like it, but I would say that at some point you get to rein it in because some stuff you see on Dynamite, that really should be either not on television, Marco Stunt, <laughs> or it should be on pay-per-view. Uh, the, the Battle Royals and the Casino Battle Royals that we've seen, there's some wrestlers in there that shouldn't have been in there. But Tony Khan said, sure, let's do it. I'll stop right here with my list, and I'll pick it up after we hear from Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette's drive through his podcast with Brian Last. Jim Cornette was talking about All Elite Wrestling. Now, Jim Cornette, longtime manager uh, for the NWA, WCW, worked all across the, the country. WWE, the Ring of Honor, we know the story, right? The National Wrestling Alliance. He's worked in a lot of different places in wrestling, Impact Wrestling for a little bit. So, apparently, before Tony Khan got Dynamite on television, he was talking to a lot of people to try to get them to work for him at All Elite Wrestling. One of the people Tony Khan reached out to is Jim Cornette. And he wanted Jim to be an advisor or wanted Jim to be part of the company as a producer, well, some way, shape, or form. And this is before... Jim had knowledge that the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega would be part of All Elite Wrestling. Now, if you know anything about Jim Cornette, he's not a big fan of Kenny Omega. He's not a big fan of the Young Bucks, and the feeling is mutual. They don't like each other, so there's no way Jim was going to work there, right? Even as a talent, Jim was not going to work at All Elite Wrestling. So there's a non-disclosure agreement that was made between Tony Khan and Jim Cornette in their conversations, like, okay, I want to hire you, but we're going to, you got to sign this non-disclosure agreement. Don't talk about all the inner workings of what we discussed regarding me wanting you to be part of All Elite Wrestling. So let's hear from Jim Cornette, his latest podcast uh, regarding All Elite Wrestling. And uh, as I always say, you know, this podcast is rated explicit. So if you have kids in the car, if you have young people around, just be careful of the language on this podcast, especially when Jim Cornette speaks. Oh, boy. Okay, here's the thing. I've never said they were not going to do this. It was entirely plausible 
that a family that owns a professional football team and professional sports leagues in other countries and stadiums and arenas and things like that would be, as the story, I believe, has been told by Mr. Khan himself at a party with uh, Kevin Riley and, and the Turner Networks and boom, and it was it was a, it was a surprise, uh, I think, as has been told also to the new Turner executives that they actually had Vince McMahon's competition 20 years before that. Nobody there really knew that because uh, wrestling wasn't on their mind at the time. But anyway, they I don't believe, even know who Ted Turner is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was a Turner. What was it? Anyway, I never said he couldn't get the show on the air. And I never said that he didn't have the money to back the thing, blah, blah, blah. So where I differed in his presentation was when I believe, as I've said, and I'm not revealing anything here, when he told me who he was going to be in business with. And that's when I knew that this was not something that I was going to be involved with because I knew what it was going to look like. And I'm pissed if they proved me right. That's why I'm pissed about AEW. As I've said this before, but maybe it bears repeating, and I haven't said it for about a year now, so we've got a bigger audience. It pissed me off that instead of taking the ability to talk to a fucking guy at Turner Networks and just get a network cable show, and the financing that nobody else has to sign seemingly, one would think, any avail- any professional wrestler in the world that's that's not signed to the WWE might be available to somebody with that bankroll if they knew how to do things. And all of those assets were going to be used in a shit show because of who was involved and who their friends were going to be that they were going to hire and the style of presentation that it was going to be done as a prove me wrong, right? That's why I'm pissed, because they haven't. You could have taken that, as I said, all those assets, and you could have got wrestlers, and you could have presented a product such as Ring of Honor has presented, or, or, or certainly something more respectable to professional wrestling than what we have gotten with the All Friends Wrestling Alliance. And that's why I'm pissed. It's a wasted opportunity. In this generation, in many of our lifetimes, nobody's ever going to just be able to talk to a guy at Turner Network and get a show on the air again and have the money to do all these things, especially through a pandemic, and do a worse job at it. (laughs) Nobody's ever going to have this opportunity again, and they're fumbling the fucking ball because they hired the friends, relatives, acquaintances, and paramours of the central goof patrol that he's got as his brain trust. And so that's that's why I'm pissed at them. It's not that I want... I didn't want... This about my first comment to Tony Khan the first time I ever spoke to him on the phone was, Tony, I'm the only one that'll tell you the truth because I don't want a job. Two years ago, I was 57. Now I'm 59. That's almost 60. I was not going to be definitely getting on airplanes and flying around or driving around to a wrestling promotion, events that were being held all over the country, regardless of who it was fucking for. Not interested in that. Am I going to stay home 
and write my thoughts down via email or uh, or phone them in and and take a check for it well if it was a goddamn real promotion pinocchio absolutely if there was a way i could help but how the fuck you couldn't do anything with this show that they're doing if you were on the fucking ground there unless the the unless the first thing was fire half the fucking roster and start over so sending thoughts in on a show like this when those people are are on the scene it's like telling somebody over the phone how to cook a cheeseburger you don't get to stand there and watch you don't get to smell it you don't get to take a bite of it when it's done and they're probably not going to do it right to begin with so they're just sending you money to send them shit that they're going to ball up and fucking toss away. And I don't want money like that. Because then I feel like I'm wasting my time. So there was never going to be any goddamn arrangement here. Especially as I've mentioned after I saw their first fucking program. But if you had wanted it, it would have been there. That's another key point. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that, but the, 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 the point is everybody thinks... They have their own reasons. They can't imagine somebody just out here just telling the truth because I don't give a fuck and I'm tired of people wiping their fucking feet on the wrestling business. And I praise the people who respect it and who approach their profession in a serious way and who have talent and who are doing their best to get over. And I shit on the people who are goddamn jokes and imbeciles and wink, wink, nudge, nudge wrestlers and cosplayers and have matches with inanimate objects and the invisible man because that's the way I really fucking feel. And the problem with everybody's fucking trying to figure out why is Cornette doing this is they cannot accept. They can't start with the fact that, yes, we do suck. And yes, this does suck. And whether 100,000 people watch it or a million people watch it or 10 million people watch it, that's not even what he's talking about. He's just telling us we suck. And that can't be true. So he's got to have an ulterior motive. I got news for you, simpletons. Start thinking simpler. Whew. The thoughts there from Jim Cornette on All Elite Wrestling. Let me move on with my list. Um, let's move on to Us versus Them. That's my number four, us versus them. You know, it works to an extent because there are a number of wrestling fans that don't like Raw and SmackDown. They don't like how repetitive the booking is for the WWE. And so they turn to all elite wrestling. And so I remember when Triple H at the Hall of Fame said to Billy Gunn, hey, AEW, you're a piss at ant company. You're piss ant company. And so it's kind of like the first salvo was fired there. Um, so... All Elite Wrestling was going to be on Wednesday nights no matter what. The uh, WWE moved uh, their NXT show to USA to compete with NXT. uh, I'm sorry, uh, NXT moved from the WWE Network to compete with All Elite Wrestling. And so it's very rare to see the WWE punch down. And I only mean it in this regard, right? All Elite Wrestling's new. And even though there was success from a pay-per-view standpoint from All Elite Wrestling, I don't think you and I knew whether or not All Elite Wrestling would be a success, like an overnight immediate success in its first year. All Elite Wrestling has kicked NXT's ass in a big way uh, from a rating standpoint. Now, listen, we talk about kicking an ass. What we're talking about is the amount of wins versus actually how many people are watching. Um, After everything is totaled, 
after the DVR and after watching live, yeah, All Elite Wrestling is getting over a million viewers. Um, AEW Dark is doing well on their platform as well. Um, but in, in relative terms, it's a different type of television audience that we're talking about now because it's different from the Monday Night Wars where you, where it's fours versus threes or fives versus fours and back and forth. You know, the All Elite Wrestling is getting a million plus uh, viewers and NXT is lagging behind. And I think one of the reasons is is that there people are just very curious of this about this all elite wrestling brand. Um, so the us versus them works to an extent. It's, it doesn't have that ECW feel of it's us against the world, but you can just tell by Tony Khan allowing Miro to come in, the former Zack Ryder for FTR to come in, for um, the for Mr. Brody Lee to come in, for Matt Hardy to come in. This is all off of WWE television, all these people, and they're put in place. Now, another long-form conversation is how some of these WWE cast-offs are working at AEW. Um, it's a head-scratcher for some of this stuff, right? If you bring someone uh, from a big television from WWE television, whether they were utilized or not, whether they were misused or not. Um, it's a head scratcher on how a few of these guys have been used, like Amiro. Miro, this this big Bulgarian brute as he was billed in the WWE, has just now a video game player. Not dissing video game players, but that's even though that's who he is, he's got this big Twitch platform. Um so that's cool on one end, but on the other end, like, how do I take him seriously as a wrestler? When, when he was over, it's because he was a monster, and now it's more of who he is with the Twitch and, the game, and playing video games and watching him in an open of AEW Dynamite, and he's playing video games. I'm like, so I take him seriously. Why? Zack Ryder comes in, the, the, um, the former Zack Ryder comes in, and he looks great, but still not over. Uh, FTR comes in and you don't know. Now you see that they're heels, but they seem to be like either shades of gray or like baby faces when they first came in. And so their battle with uh, the Young Bucks is going to be odd because Young Bucks now, they feel they are coming across as heels. FTRs are heels. So why is that match taking place if there's no baby face? You know what I'm saying? Like us versus them. Like it's it's cool. The booking is kind of strange, but... Um, I think the us versus them works for a certain audience for the AEW because they're like, I'm not watching, I'm not watching enough WWE. I'm watching AEW. I'm giving all of my attention to them because they believe in this new brand. So I think that's great. Moving on to production and television. It is so key if you're trying to compete. TNT has done a great job, not a good job, a great job from where their production. You're like, oh, hood, they're on TNT. Of course, you're going to do well. Nope. Nope. That's not a given. <laughs> I watched the National Wrestling Alliance back in the day, and I watched World Championship Wrestling. And just because it's on a Turner brand doesn't necessarily mean it's restaurant quality production. Uh, I remember uh, under Bischoff, uh, when he first took over WCW, even a little bit before that, you would think like, wow, it's on Turner, so it really should have great production. Yeah, some of the guys that were running the production for wrestling, Back in the day, you would, I'm like, wait, this is the same channel that has the NBA and the Olympics and everything else? Whatever the reason, it was not great. But I want to give a shout out to the production because I think that it is really stellar. 
for a first year uh, show like AEW Dynamite, the color, the how nothing Harley has ever missed on this program. You, you love how AEW's productions really come together in the first year. Um, so that's that's really good. Number two on my list for AEW, the broadcast is horrible. The broadcasters are horrible. It's horrible. I'll say it if no one wants to say it. There's a number of people that are listening to this podcast every week. And they grew up with Jim Ross. And he's the voice of the childhood for so many people that watch Jim in the WWE. I watched Jim Ross in the UWF in Mid-South. When it came over in Chicago, when it became a syndicated show, when they were Universal Wrestling Federation in the 1986, 87. And I heard Jim Ross and I said, who is this guy that is really matching the intensity of people in Oklahoma watching wrestling? It was just off the chain. Jim Ross was great in the UWF. Great in Mid-South. Comes to the National Wrestling Alliance. Great in the NWA. After the UWF was purchased by Jim Crockett Promotions. Comes over as an announcer. He's there with Tony Schiavone calling the first clash of champions with Ric Flair versus Sting. He had a lot of great moments with Bob Cottle. One of my, his partnership with Bob Cottle is my favorite pairing for Jim to work with someone that's a non-wrestler. Um, that was a great combo, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle. The, uh, the best. Two guys that didn't wrestle... Two guys that were just friends and broadcast partners, they were very good together. Watched him go to the WWE. He was starting to stop with the WWE. He got sick, obviously, with the Bell's palsy. Loses his wife. A lot of stuff happened to Jim. Jim also was ribbed just horribly in the WWE. Ribbed for no reason. Bullied for no reason with Vince McMahon in the WWE. So he went through a lot. No announcer has gone through more crap and had to eat it than Jim Ross in the WWE. But before that, I mean, smooth sailing, great announcer, great businessman, uh, uh, loves the business, absolutely. Jim is at the end. Jim's at the end. And when you are making mistakes with names, when you are not doing pure play-by-play anymore, it's more of observation. Uh, as my buddy Josh Lopez says, it's more like Jim Ross, the podcaster, versus Jim Ross, the uh, announcer. Um, it is true. Like this is this is done for Jim. It's not as smooth and sharp as it should be. Now his job now is to try to get wrestlers over. Dog collar match taking place. Serious business, right? Dog collar match. Both wrestlers bleeding. It's a grudge match. Jim's cracking jokes, and I'm like, really. I mean, it's one of the more serious things on the All Elite Wrestling show, and he's cracking jokes and trying to figure out how he can promote his bar- barbecue sauce or tries to get a plug in for his book. I'm like, and Jim has been a, a frequent guest on this show, but he does not fit. Eric Bischoff, I said this a couple weeks ago, Eric Bischoff said, you know, I don't think I could do play-by-play today because the action's too quick. The action is different than it was when I was doing it in the 90s. Now, keep in mind, before I move forward, when Nitro first launched, do you remember the broadcast team? Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Mongo McMichael, and Pepe. Pepe was Mike Mongo's dog. 
that was the broadcast team. And that was like our two. Our one sometimes was like uh, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. And Tony and Larry were very good. And then Eric, because Vince was doing his play-by-play on the WWF side, Eric wanted to do it for his brand to kind of talk through some of the storylines that um, that he really wanted to get across. But going full circle now to 2020 and having Excalibur, I have, you know, it's strange. I have more of an uh, air appreciation for Excalibur now because I see what he's trying to do. Now, it's not great. I'm not an Excalibur fan, but I have an appreciation of him trying to get some kind of play-by-play in on that broadcast. It's weird because the guy who wrestled the most in that broadcast is doing the play-by-play. People say that Jim has quit or Jim is, Jim has not quit. He's not quit. He has a passion for the business. But Jim is not going to give you the stone cold, stone cold by God. Like, that's gone. That's gone. The, the, the voice isn't there. The action isn't there. And he realizes, like, the action he sees now, he's, he said it. He goes, you know what? There's a lot of stuff I don't like about AEW, but things have changed. So he's good with that, but it doesn't come across well. You don't know Ricky Stark's name to open up the AEW Dynamite show? Tony Schiavone has been my favorite for a long time. And Tony's a third wheel in that broadcast. And Tony knows it too. That's why he only says very little and just does the reads. He's just happy because he doesn't have to deal with all that shit. He's just a guy that's there for the ride, having fun and just watching the moves and just like and just awestruck at the athleticism of today's wrestlers. He does backstage interviews. He does podcasts here and there. And then he goes home. Tony is a guy that should be the lead broadcaster for AEW Dynamite. When we went through the pandemic and Tony was working with Chris Jericho, that was the best booth they've had in the year for AEW Dynamite. Excalibur should be a color analyst, but since he did play-by-play for whatever, PWG or whatever out west, um, he gets to do the play-by-play because he's a friend of the Young Bucks. But he doesn't explain things well. There's no storytelling enough from Excalibur for him to be a play-by-play guy. He's very green. Jim's not lost in the broadcast. Jim is older. Go back and listen to Jim's broadcast, his podcast, talking about Gordon solely toward the end. Listen to what he says about Gordon and then watch an AEW broadcast. I think the stories are similar. And I'm a, again, I'm a Tony Schiavone fan. That's my number one guy. I love Tony Schiavone. Tony's the third wheel in the broadcast. It should be the number one guy. It should be the voice of AEW, I believe. If it's my druthers, if I had my choice, Tony would work with Taz. And that would be the one-two punch. Or Tony would work with Excalibur. Or Tony would work with Chris Jericho or whatever. But it, you have to have... It's so important for your lead announcer not to have a mask... It also is important for your lead announcer to be able to have trust with the audience. You just can't put three guys out there and all three guys are doing play-by-play at at certain points of a broadcast. And so Jim would be great as an advisor. Jim would be great as far as trying to talk to talent or produce some of the announcers. But I'm not sure what Jim brings to the table anymore because he's not comfortable with a three-man booth. And I will tell you that his the last good work that he did was New Japan. And even then, Josh Barnett was doing most of the, not play-by-play, but just kind of explaining the moves. Jim was there for the high spots, and it worked well enough for me to watch New Japan. I liked it. 
But Jim's barely hanging on. And someone's got to say it, and I'll be the one to say it. I'm a Jim Ross fan, but it does not come across well as a middleman in a three-man booth. If he's a lead dog, he's got to do the play-by-play. If he can't do that, if it's too fast, it happens to many older broadcasters. Not Al Michaels necessarily, uh, but it happens to a lot of older broadcasters. Um, that, that broadcast is a fail. That that those three guys or when you know, Taz is in there, Taz is is I've never been the biggest Taz fan uh, outside the WWE when he was being produced with, with Michael Cole. Michael Cole and Taz were great because Taz soundbite, 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 soundbite. Now you're not he, he didn't do that toward the end of his time with TNA and definitely not in AEW. It's good but not stellar. I like Taz's work as a manager more so than as a broadcaster. Um, but that's just me. But Taz in the WWE, the way he was produced, it was quick, it was sharp, and he and Cole really worked well together. And uh, he and JR worked well together, but not now. I don't, I don't see that being a very good booth. And again, it's just year one. You see how the booth evolved after some years with Nitro and Thunder. But uh, what we're seeing right now is not great. The presentation has to be better. And um, when I watch that broadcast, I'm going to be honest with you, and as I always am, there's some times when I'm listening to house music while I'm watching AEW Dynamite or listening to music or listening to something else. And I have the broadcast muted because I can't learn anything sometimes from that broadcast. Pay-per-views, I will listen when it's on BR, when I'm watching on Bleach Report. Yes, but that broadcast has to improve in year two, year three. Jim's barely hanging on. Excalibur's got to get better, and Tony's is not used properly on that broadcast. Jim Ross joined me earlier this year to talk about the AEW young roster and how similar it is to some of the younger wrestlers from the Attitude Era. Well, I, I like our chances of accomplishing this. Just you can't make a definitive statement, yay or nay, until you proceed down the road of maturity. But we got some great young kids there in AEW. I mean, you know, Darby Allen, for some reason, Darby Allen has uh, electrified people. And he's like, I say it all the time, he's like a young Jeff Hardy. Uh, Sammy Guevara, a uh, big-time young kid, 24, 25 years old, reminds me of Eddie Guerrero. But I've never been this long enough where I'm not comparing them to those people. They remind me of them. when I And that could be, when I talk to Sammy, Sammy's got the same basic attitude the little chip on his shoulder that Eddie had. It's, and a, a lot of these kids are trying to overcome size. You've been told they're too little to go to WWE. We're not big enough. You're not big enough to be in wrestling. Old school people say you got to be so big. Or you got to draw attention to the airport and you walk through, blah, blah, blah. But we got some great young talents. You know, the Moxie, Hager, same deal. Hager's an amazing athlete. He had 30 pins in one season at OU, set an all time record for pins. He's an all American wrestler. He's undefeated in MMA. I know he has the motivation. And I think folks are going to see that on Wednesday night because uh, th- this is going to be a knockdown drag out, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, but that's, I think we're going to be fine. We just got to get back in the groove, man. We just, this empty arena stuff, uh, you know, all this, the, the things that we're, all, all of us are having to endure, that's a lot more damn important than pro wrestling, let me tell you. Uh, but we got to get back in the groove and get past this virus and, get, and, and re- continue to rebuild our momentum, which I thought we were doing quite well uh, until. Uh, the, the, the virus uh, struck everybody. 
the thoughts there from good old J.R. Jim Ross. And, you know, I love having Jim on the show because of his perspective. And, of course, he's a big college football fan, so I'm definitely down with that. But it just you just know there's a reason why he's not working with WWE anymore because even Vince saw it. It's not about the way Jim looks, even though I like to have him. He should have a jacket on like his other his two other partners in the broadcast. Um, but it's just that you put him on a pedestal as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, to ever do it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he's still the greatest to ever do it. And so he, he needs to be able to focus in on what he can do to try to enhance the talent on that roster and just get the names right. You know, and that, that's the whole thing. And that's something that is important. Jim would say that about another broadcaster. You know, it's like, hey, I respect this guy, but hey, he's got to get his stuff straight. Then that's how I feel about Jim. Jim's great. There's no doubt. But when we saw, see that broadcast, the, the litany mistakes and kind of just trailing off and thought, hey, the focus is on the ring, not barbecue sauce, not books, not anything else, not Anna Jay or whatever. It's got to be on the wrestlers. And that's the thing that's so important. Um, Bully Ray said that AEW has a coolness factor. He was on with uh, Dave LaGreca not too long ago talking about AEW and their cool factor. No other company has the coolness factor that AEW does. Everybody wants to jump on the AEW bandwagon, and rightfully so, because it's a fun product. Whether you're watching one of their pay-per-views or whether you're watching Being the Elite, you're enjoying yourself. It's also an alternative. I think a lot of the AEW fanfare is because people have just been begging for an alternative to the WWE. Now, they've gotten an alternative to the WWE. They've gotten Ring of Honor. They've gotten New Japan. They've got Impact. But this is a huge alternative that will now be airing on TV that reminds people of the Monday Night Wars. Even though it's not going to be a Monday Night War, it's as close to it as possible. And I believe that there are fans out there that want to see the WWE taken down in one way, shape, or form. I don't know why they would want to see that, but I believe they believe that. Thoughts there from Bully Ray regarding AEW and that cool factor. The number one thing on my list for AEW and their one-year anniversary for AEW Dynamite. Momentum and being on TNT and Bleacher Report. Here's to year two for AEW. So far, so good for AEW as far as their numbers are concerned. They're not overwhelming over the top, but they are beating NXT. And so there's something to be said about how fans are changing their thoughts, their habits when it comes to all elite wrestling. Um, they've watched WWE for a long time. They've tried Ring of Honor. They've tried Impact Wrestling. And so they want to do something new, something fresh. And so, so far, so good as far as the support for AEW. They've got momentum being on a major network on TNT. Now they got to make the most of it. They'll tell stories. Tell, tell us about these wrestlers. You don't have to hotshot everything. Week to week, you can be able to either win or be competitive with um, NXT and build for your pay-per-views. And once we get on the other side of this pandemic, it'll be interesting to see how many fans come out to see All Elite Wrestling. It's been on there with uh, no fans, and then wrestlers at ringside, they were the first to do that, so that was pretty innovative. And now some of the fans have come back to Daly's Place uh, in Jacksonville. It's very interesting. 
so many really great matches on Dynamite, like Darby Allen against Chris, Darby Allen versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Um, John Moxley against Kenny Omega, lights out match. That was AEW full gear. Um, another Dynamite match was SCU versus Kenny Omega and Adam Page from January. Really, really good match. SCU against the Lucha Brothers on Dynamite. John Moxley against Jeff Cobb. Thought that was very odd that Jeff Cobb just kind of disappeared after that. Um, but I thought that that was a good match. Um, seeing Kenny Omega against Sammy Guevara in March, very good match. I mentioned Cody Rhodes against Wardlow. The Young Bucks at All Out taking on the Lucha Brothers. Um, that was a great match. I mentioned Cody Rhodes against uh, Dustin Rhodes. Another great AEW match. Orange Cassidy against Pac at Revolution. Uh, Pretty decent matchup. So there has been some really good matches in year one in the Dynamite era. Let's see what happens moving forward with all elite wrestling. I thank you for listening and being part of the program right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Don't forget to listen to David Kaplan and I every morning, 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000. Also download that ESPN Chicago app. Every Tuesday, we give you something special for wrestling. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. Follow along on Instagram and Twitter. And send me a message either on Twitter at TweetJHood or at WrestlingTWT. Let me get your feedback on our podcast as well. Thanks for listening as always. Talk to you soon. As Bob Carl used to say, talk to you later. Until then, so long for now. <laughs>